Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the holy, wise, all-powerful, almighty God that we worship today. Father, even this morning, I look up to heaven and I think about Jesus and all that you've done. And I think about the privilege of knowing you. And I pray, oh God, that you would move in our lives this morning. That we would come near to you and we would remember that you are a good, good father. That you're worthy of our praise. And it's a privilege to know you. Now bless this time in your word. Hear our prayer. Speak to us in clarity and grace and power. As only you can. We pray it all through Jesus' name. Amen. Question. How many of you ever worry about your kids? Before they were born. I saw two hands over there. Before they were even born, you worried, are they going to be born healthy? They are born, they're doing well, and it's like, will they ever sleep through the night? (laughs) Will they ever get potty trained? And they get a little older, and it's like, when will they be able to read? And when will they be able to write? And will they do well in school? And then they get a little older, and it's like, I hope they make good friends. Maybe I can kind of guide them into making the right friends. And then they become friends that you're not real crazy about, and you worry about them. Or maybe they're getting out of high school, and they're thinking about college. And you're hoping that they're going to make the right decision and get into the right school and major in the the right major so they can get a job. Or maybe they're not going to college. They're going to go to the military. They're going to go out and and get some work. But you hope that they're going to be able to take care of themselves and one day perhaps get married and have their own children. And now they're getting to be 25 and they're still not married. They don't have a serious relationship and you're worried about them getting married. And then they meet this guy and you don't really like this guy and so you're hoping that she doesn't get with this guy and so you're concerned. You know, the Apostle Paul is an interesting person. As far as we know, he never had any biological children never legally adopted any children, but he has these churches and he calls these members of these churches his children in the faith. He loves them and he cares about them, but he's also concerned about them. But here's some good news. We don't have to do this thing called life on our own. We have some help. We have some help. Isn't that good news? Turn to your neighbor and say, you have some help. Y'all are more participatory in this service than the first one. I like it. You see, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. 
In Hebrews 13, 5, God says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Isn't that good news? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, says God's divine power has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. Everything that you need to face the ups and the downs, the ins and the outs, the struggles, the issues, the problems of life, God gives you what you need. Isn't that good news? But that does not mean we're to be lazy in the Christian life. In that same chapter, two verses later, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says to make every effort, say every effort with me, every effort to add to your faith goodness and knowledge and self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is calling us to grow, and God is helping us to grow. He empowers us to grow, but He wants us to participate with Him in this growth. Here in 2 Peter chapter 6, verse 1, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, We are God's workers. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I work for God. You're not just working for God. You're partnering with God. Now, he's the lead partner, and that's a good thing, is it not? Because some of you are like me. You may not be all of that intelligent all of the time. Like this morning, I forgot to wear my wedding ring. Sorry, Monique, I just forgot to wear it today. I'm not trying to say anything. I just forgot it. And I'm probably the only pastor that I know of who stands in the pulpit with a Walmart bag in his blue jean pocket. I have a reason. I have a dog that I have to walk five or six times a day. And if I don't keep one in my pocket at all times, I'll forget. I already walked him once this morning, okay? As soon as I get home, I'll walk him again. But if I don't have this in my pocket, I'll forget, okay? My neighbors will not like it. Some of my neighbors are members of this church. Some of them are in the service right now. Hey, I got my bag, okay? Just want you to know, all right? He's the lead partner. That's a good thing, right? He knows everything. He doesn't forget anything, and he doesn't carry Walmart bags around in his pocket, okay? But you are a vitally important part of what God is doing in this world. Isn't that incredible? You're partnering with God in this world. And we're also co-workers with one another. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're all in this together. Some of you who have children who may now be teenagers were thinking about High School Musical when you said that, right? (laughs) Some of you adults thinking that that didn't have kids then, okay? Anyway, we're all in this together. We really are. Verse 1 continues. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. What in the world did the Apostle Paul mean by that? Well, these Corinthians claim to know Jesus, but a lot of them 
are not living like they know Jesus. Some of them are truly saved, but they're being hindered by false doctrine. Probably the primary false doctrine that was being promoted here at the church at Corinth was a doctrine called legalism. Say legalism. Legalism. And legalism in the Bible tended to be people who were Jewish, who were trying to make the church follow all the Jewish rules and regulations, dietary laws, circumcision, all of that stuff in order to be Christians. So in the minds of the legalists, you had to be a good Jew in order to be a good Christian. And Paul said, that's not right. There was another doctrine in the church that may have been even more dangerous called Gnosticism. And there were apparently elements of Gnosticism being taught to this church and other churches in the New Testament by some false teachers. And Gnostics believed that the physical human body is bad, but the spiritual is good. And some Gnostics would go so far to say that Jesus could not have come to this earth physically. He could not have died on the cross literally physically. He could not have physically risen from the dead. It was just a spiritual thing. And obviously that would be heresy. And Paul's concerned about false doctrine creeping into this church. Some of you may be concerned about your children. Some of you may have adult children, and you're just not sure if they're following Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you, never give up on your children. Never stop praying for them. Never stop asking God to work in their lives, because God is not done working in this world yet. And pray that God is going to draw them to himself. Some of you may be concerned about your own salvation. I have good news. It's not too late. You can give your life to Jesus Christ today. Go to verse 2. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The time of salvation is now. Do not delay. You don't know how much time you will have, and one of these days, it will be too late. One of these days, you're going to die. Or one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to return. And when either of those days takes place, it will be too late for you. So I encourage you, I plead with you, if you've never nailed it down, to give your life to Jesus Christ. Place your faith in him. He died for you. He rose from the dead. One day he's coming back for you. If you've never turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, do so today. Paul continues in verse 3. We put no stumbling block, no obstacle in anyone's path, no cause for offense, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Listen, the gospel itself is offensive. We can't help that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive to this world. John chapter 14 verse 6 may be the most offensive verse in the Bible to the world. Do you know what it says? Jesus said there, I am the way, the truth, the life. 
No one comes to the Father except by me. There is no Buddhist way. There is no Muslim way. There is no be a good person in hopes it works out okay way. There is only one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? But the world is offended by that. They think there are many, many ways. Jesus cannot be the only way. And so we are offensive to the world because of the gospel. But we should not be offensive by the way that we live. We should be the most winsome people that the people you work with know. We should be the kind of people that others want to hire at their place of business. Because you're the hardest workers. You have the best attitude. You're the best team player that they know. We should be the kind of people that if you're a young person, others would want on your ball team. Not just because you're amazingly good, but because you have also a great attitude. We should be the kind of people that others would want to be around because we are the kind of people who are encouragers. We're the kind of people that love people unconditionally. We're not gossips and backbiters, but we're genuine in who we are. Go to verse 4. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul's purpose for this commendation is not to build his resume so he can get a cushier job. No, Paul's goal is to reach as many people as possible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his goal with the Corinthians is to get them to listen so that he can help them. He knows there are false teachers in Corinth, and he wants the people in the church at Corinth to believe in him so they will believe in the message that he's trying to share with them. Paul is willing to do anything possible to reach people with the gospel. He elaborates on what he went through a bit in verses 4 and 5. By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. I'm telling you, you would not want to trade places with the apostle Paul. You just wouldn't. He lived a life of suffering. When he first came to Christ, Ananias was told, I want you to go to Paul and I want you to tell him that he is going to have a life of suffering. His life was. Think about it. In this same letter to this same church, the church at Corinth, Paul says, I was beaten five times with whips. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned, hit with these huge rocks, and left for dead. He was constantly in and out of prison, in afflictions and hardships and calamities and beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger. It's not easy being the Apostle Paul. And I have a confession to make. I would not want to have gone on a mission trip with Paul. Just saying. All right? Go to Colorado with youth. That sounds pretty cool. Go down to El Salvador like we did with our church a few years ago. That was pretty neat. Other mission trips that we go on, I think I could be all in. But I don't want to go with Paul. 
when Paul went on a mission trip, it's scary. If Paul were in this room today, and he were looking for somebody to join him on his mission trip, I'd be hiding behind somebody. You don't want me. I'd have been tempted to be like John Mark on the first mission trip. John Mark just left. We don't know why, but I tell you why I'd leave. It's dangerous out there. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to be in prison, and their prison's a lot worse than our prison's. I would not want to have done that. But Paul did. He went through all kinds of stuff so people could know Jesus Christ and the gospel. Now, I'm not really all that afraid of dying, but the painful process of getting dead, that's a different story. Just wouldn't have gone, wanted to go. Now, if I would had to go and Paul would have told me I'm going, I said, that must be God, I'm going, because if I don't go, it's going to be worse. But he didn't have it easy. There's a common practice in the first century for sages, for wise teachers, to catalog their sufferings in order to demonstrate their integrity so people would follow their teaching about endurance. It's still true today. People are motivated by other people who have been there. Motivational speakers get that. The better motivational speakers tend to be people who've been through a lot, they've come out on the other side, and they've achieved a lot. But i got to be honest. If you were a basketball player, you would not want me to be your motivational speaker, okay? I had a very short, non-illustrious career in the 8th and ninth grades, okay? Borderline starter on a basketball team that lost every single game, okay? Not very motivational. Michael Jordan, different story. How many of you know who Michael Jordan is? Oh, about 20 of you, okay. He's probably the greatest basketball player who ever lived. And yet, did you know, when he went out for basketball as a 15-year-old sophomore in high school, he did not make the team. There were 50 guys who went out. 15 made the team. Michael Jordan was not one of them. When he saw his name was not on the list, you know what he did? He went to his room, he locked the door, and he cried. But he didn't just cry. He got motivated. He said, I am going to be on that list next year. And he worked, and he worked, and he worked, and he got better, and he grew about six inches. And he would eventually become probably the greatest basketball player who has ever lived. I've got good news for you today. You don't have to work to get on the list. If your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, your name is on the list. Your name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life, never to be erased. Isn't that good news? But that ought to motivate us because we have a Savior who died for us. We have a Lord who's living inside of us. 
We have a Savior who's coming back for us, and one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you get to be on His side. You're going to be with Him forever and ever, and we got to be about sharing that good news with the world, amen, because it's good news. Life's not always easy. But if you're a genuine believer in God, your name is on the list. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But you're there. And you're his ambassadors, his representatives in this world. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation to reach people with the good news. Not only do we need to tell other people about Jesus, we need to live lives as an example before the world. A lot of people say they love Jesus, but they don't love church. Did you know a lot of people are looking for excuses Not to follow Christ, not to be involved in a church. Let me encourage you, don't be somebody's excuse for not following Jesus Christ and not being plugged into a church. Be somebody's reason why they would want to. In 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul says, I become all things to all men in order that I might reach some. Here's the question, what are you willing to do? Did you know that two weeks ago, we had more than 200 children involved in Vacation Bible School? But what excites me just as much is we had 100 workers in Vacation Bible School. Isn't that great? That is incredible. A church that averages 300 or so in attendance had 100 workers in Vacation Bible School, and that is amazing. But vacation Bible school is over. But just because that's over, that does not mean the need to work and the need to serve is over. There are still plenty of opportunities to serve with children, to serve with preschoolers, to serve with teenagers, to serve with adults, to serve in reaching out to our community with the love of Christ and touching people with giving and loving and serving as his representative in this world. And more than anything else, the most important thing that you can do as a follower of Jesus Christ is to pray. Did you know that? I'm not talking about a 15-second prayer before you go to bed at night. That's better than nothing. But I'm talking about crying out to God. Asking God to send revival. Asking God to pour out His Spirit. Asking God to anoint the preaching. Asking God to anoint the music. Asking God to anoint the Sunday school teachers. Asking God to give us laborers. Asking God to send us people who need Jesus as a Savior and inviting people to come. Because there really is a heaven and there really is a hell and people are going to spend eternity with God forever in heaven. Or they can be separated from him and go to a horrible place called hell. Not only did Paul go through a lot, Paul was very careful how he lived his life. Go to verses 6 and 7. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God. Those are elements of Paul's life that he lived out, and so should we. By purity, thinking thoughts that are pure, having minds and hearts that are pure. How do you keep your mind pure? Well, one thing you can do is guard what goes into your mind. 
How many of you old enough to remember the old saying, garbage in, garbage out, right? Well, there are so many opportunities out there in the world to put garbage in our brain, right? Television, Netflix, the internet. I mean, there's just so much stuff out there. We've got to be careful what we put into our minds, what we put into our hearts, because what we put in, we tend to think about. We also have to guard our minds and our thoughts. The Bible says to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You cannot keep wrong thoughts, lustful thoughts, impure thoughts, greedy thoughts, whatever, from coming into your mind, but you don't have to let them stay there. You have to have pure hearts, pure minds, and knowledge, knowing God and learning more about God. That's one reason why we do Master Life. Master Life is an intense study for six weeks where you're going to be challenged to grow in your faith, to know more about God, and to grow more in God. Then the hard one is patience. How many really patient people do I have in the room today? A few. How many impatient people? A lot more, right? It's hard. How do we get patience? Well, James chapter 1 kind of speaks to that. It says, consider all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or patient endurance. So the best way to grow in patience might be Going through trials and handling it in a way that honors God. So when circumstances don't go your way, it's like, okay, God, I'm trusting in you. When I don't get what I want, it's like, oh, God, okay, God, I'm looking to you. When circumstances are difficult, when the check doesn't come in the mail, and I don't get a good report from the doctor, okay, I'm trusting in you. When you're standing in line at Walmart, and there's... 30 checkout lanes, and only three of them are open. And you got in the longest one, and the person in front of you does like I did the other day, spilled my blueberries all over the floor. And I'm down there trying to clean them up. I'm sure the person behind me was thinking, oh, that's great, I got more time to wait. But those are opportunities for us to grow In patience and in kindness. Say kindness with me. Kindness with a smile on your face. The Holy Spirit, we depend on Him in genuine love. One of my favorite things that we do around here is the greeting time. I love it. Some people don't, but most of us do. I love the greeting time. i tell you something. If... The only time we're very kind and friendly, and the only time we really reach out to people is during the greeting time, we're kind of hypocritical, are we not? If you're very friendly in the greeting time, then after church, you don't even want to talk to people, guess what? Doesn't seem very real to those guests who are in the room, does it? You know, we ought not just be a friendly group for three minutes every Sunday We should be kind and friendly and genuine on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and throughout the week. And I think we're growing in that, and I'm proud of you for it. But we do this, how? By the power of God. 
Listen, living the Christian life is not easy. But thank God we don't live this Christian life on our own. The last part of verse 7 says, We have weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. The weapons of righteousness is probably a reference to the armor of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith that quenches all the fiery darts of the enemy, the devil. Listen, your neighbor is not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. The purpose of the weapons of righteousness is not to take down other people. It's to destroy kingdoms and strongholds and the power of Satan and hell in this world. That does not mean following Jesus is easy just because he gives us his power. Paul was one of the greatest followers of Jesus Christ who ever lived. But it wasn't easy. Go to verses 8 and following. Not only is he being physically beat up, he's being treated poorly by others, both inside and outside the church. Here in verse 8, he says he, he went through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. Question, how many of you love it when people are rude to you? Don't you just love No, you don't love it. It's horrible, right? How many of you like to be encouraged? Turn to your neighbor and give them a compliment. Tell them you like their shirt, or you like their hair, or you're glad I got to sit by you or something. Good job singing today. Thank you for not singing too loud because you're really bad, whatever. We love to be encouraged, do we not? That's one of my goals for us here at Northside is that we can be a place of great encouragement. There's enough discouragement out there in the world, is there not? There's enough discouragement on Facebook, is there not? There's enough discouragement out there at your job, is there not? There's enough discouragement out there at the school if you're a student, right? Every place in the world can be discouraging. And I thought about this when I was working on the sermon. The most encouraging people in the world ought to be the cheerleaders, right? But you know what? Why? Because they're supposed to encourage everybody. But they're not always encouraging, are they? It's like rah, 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 and then they have a conversation afterwards. It may not be so great. Churches can be like that too. Did you know that? We can praise Jesus. We can talk about his goodness. We can celebrate our God. Then after it's over, it's like, I can't believe she was wearing that. I can't believe he was doing that. I can't believe they're doing that. I am. Okay. It's not real. We've got to be real. Encouraging. We're not encouraging sin, but we are encouraging people to follow Jesus both inside this building and out there in the build outside the building we got in the world. It's one thing to follow Jesus in here, and another thing when you live out there. You don't want to be somebody's excuse. For not following Jesus, you want to be a God-given reason for somebody to want to follow Jesus. Paul may have been the greatest follower of Jesus Christ who ever lived, but a lot of people did not appreciate him. But here's what Paul did. He did everything possible to make sure that when people criticized his character, they were wrong. Verse 8 continues. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters, and yet we are true we may be accused of not being 
godly, if not being real, if not being genuine, but we're going to live our lives the best way possible to refute that because we're going to live what we say we believe. Is unknown, he continues, and yet well known. Is dying, and behold, we live. Is punished, and yet not killed. Is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Is poor, yet making many rich. Is having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul's life was filled with paradoxes, with seeming contradictions. But he's still trusting in God. You see, our peace, our joy, our contentment doesn't depend upon circumstances. It depends on our God, right? When you do ministry for others, it will not always be appreciated. Last couple of weeks, I've been out trying to visit newcomers in the area, and some of them really appreciate it. But I've had a few that's like, oh, I don't think so, you know, and it's not really encouraging. Probably some don't just bother to answer the door, and I understand that, the stranger out there. But we keep on serving, we keep on reaching out. Why? Because we've been commanded to go. We've been commanded to reach out. We've been commanded to make a difference in this world. And so we keep going. We keep reaching out. We keep seeking to be God's instruments to make a difference. Verse 11 says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. Paul really cared about the people in the church at Corinth. Some of them didn't really appreciate what Paul was doing. And Paul still says, my heart is wide open toward you. Say wide open with me. Wide open. Everybody is not going to appreciate it. But you keep on reaching out to other people. Will you be hurt sometimes? Yeah, you'll be hurt sometimes. But you keep on reaching out in God's love. Go to verse 12. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding yours from us. Paul is hurt by this church. He's being honest with them. But he still doesn't stop reaching out to them. He cares about these people. It's hard, Paul says in essence. However, it is more than worth it. Listen. You follow Jesus. You trust in God. You do what God's calling you to do in this world. It will not always be appreciated. It will not always be well received. But if you do it in humility and grace and the love of Christ and the Spirit of Christ, depending on the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, God can use you to make a difference. It won't always be easy, but he says, I will empower you. And one day, by God's grace, as you follow him with all of your heart, not only will your name be on the list because it's already there, but I pray that one day you'll hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant.